Yeah, I'm, I am a, I'm a wreck. I'm a wreck this morning. Uh, just hearing our community pray with groans and sighs. Watching us drop burdens at the table <clears throat> and responding in worship uh, is just such a blessing and such an encouragement to me as I consider just what the Lord is doing within our community. So if I break down in tears at any point in time as I look over at this table and just see these stones that represent so much, um, just forgive me and try to follow along. Uh, anyways, I wanted to begin this morning uh, with just, just a real quick hit. Uh, the scriptures begin and end in a garden. And with the gardens, there's this call to care for created things. And so happy Earth Day, Renew. Uh, go plant a tree or pick up some trash. Um, followers of Jesus, that's what we're called to do, to take care of the creation in which God has entrusted to us. Um, and that's something we actually need to be talking about a bit more within our community over the months and years to come. Um, but uh, in January, we talked about the vision for Renew in 2018. And we talked about kind of a twofold piece. Number one, that we would fall in love with Jesus. Uh, and not more, not better, but with expanded hearts. To have a bigger view of how good God is, to trust Him, to just see our hearts explode, understanding how loved we truly are. And that Renew, the other part of this is that Renew would also be a church that, that had a, a robust nursery ministry. And what I don't mean by nursery ministry is that there'd be more babies, which there are, and so thank you, those of you who are paying attention to that. Uh, but a nursery in the sense of people who are yet to meet Jesus. We want to see Renew continue to expand its heart for people who are far from God and people who have yet to meet him. And so we're really encouraged because we've been seeing this happening uh, both, uh, I, I was so pleased on Easter when we got to hear stories of Neil's heart expanding, of Angela experiencing forgiveness, of Alfredo and Brandy moving from anger and frustration into love and compassion, of Big John moving into stories from want and need into overbounding plentifulness. Plentifulness, I don't think that's a word. Overbounding plenty. But this, this idea of becoming a nursery ministry is what I am so excited about, especially as we start things like Alpha. Um, and as people will gather here this evening to have conversations around the person of Jesus, that excites and encourages me. And so a lot of you remember that a few months ago we began the series on what Jesus said the greatest commandment was, and some people call it the Shema, but Jesus sort of added a bit to this idea of the Shema. And it's love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus doesn't just give one when he's asked, what's the greatest commandment? He gives a one, one answer with two parts. And so for, the, for four teachings in February into March, we talked about what it means to love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we heard some fantastic teachings from Ben and John, and we were really shaped in what it means to have a bigger view of what it means to love God. And last gathering, we turned the corner, and Ben started to lead us in the conversation of what does it mean to love 
others. And so, uh, I don't know, for those of you that were not here, go back and listen to the teaching, but Ben Blue Minds, making us reread the Good Samaritan story, but by placing people that we have a hard time loving within that story as the hero. It has greatly impacted my life, and I believe if we continue to take this seriously and this call to love others seriously, it will shape us greatly. Uh, So this morning, we're going to enter into another familiar passage, um, and it's found in John 7, 53 through 8, 11. And so if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to uh, open them up and to follow along. If not, uh, just listen. Um, But we are, as soon as I'm done uh, reading, hearing, participating in the story, I want us to just take a moment of just silence And then we're going to get in groups of two or three, and we have two questions. Can you just throw the slide up of the two questions, please? Um, And we're going to get in groups of three or four for about two minutes. We're going to look at these two questions. What do I see, feel, smell, and hear in this story? And what character do I resonate with this morning? So uh, I'm going to ask that we stand as we listen to this gospel story. Then each went to his own home. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, and at dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in the act of adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commands us to stone such a woman. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to walk away one at a time. the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and he asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, go now and leave your life of sin. Let's just pause in silence and think of the story. So if we could all turn our chairs back around, kind of face this direction. Yeah, I'd love to just hear um, from all of us just some of the things that we were wrestling with, thinking through, ways we answered the question. So what, what I'm going to do is I'm going to hand a, 
a microphone off to uh, Alfredo so we can at least just sort of get some, actually this one's off, let me turn it on. There we go. Just so we can hear what people responded with. So just like shoot up your hand, you can sort of report for your group or just a thought that you had. So yeah, what are some interactions we had with this very familiar passage? Marion um, was asking like, gosh, I wonder what he, what he wrote, um, what he was bending down to write. And so I shared with her something that I learned from somebody in high school way back when that they thought perhaps he was stooping down to write the names of the men that were standing around and their sins um, on the ground. And that that left them powerless because they realized, and then he says, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. So they realized that they were just as culpable. Ha <laughs> ha, like that word. Um, <laughs> and uh, it left them powerless. Anybody else? Anyone with the smell? Anyone smell anything? Okay, so women can probably relate to this more than men. You know when you're like crying so much and you're like, <gasps> and like you can't smell anything and you're all like blocked up? That's just what I thought. If I were her, I'd be like, oh crap, I got caught, I'm going to die, and just like losing it. So I'm just thinking of like those times when you're like, you've lost it, you can't smell, you can't breathe, you can't even blow your nose, everything's just blocked up. So not a smell, but you know. Yeah, any other, any other thoughts? This is great. Excellent. Um, we talked about, Jason pointed out the stature that Jesus took. He knelt down, so he was put himself below everybody else. So he thought that was an interesting point. Beyond her way, and like just, you so want him to react the way that those men were feeling, or they so wanted him to react that way, and he just turns it on his head and... Yeah, like the ultimate mic drop, like maybe the last stone to drop was Jesus' mic. Sounds like a good title. The last stone drop was Jesus' mic. I like that. <clears throat> yeah, so he, he, this is sort of a, a, just a question just that I, I'm thinking through. You know, I think sometimes it's really difficult to ask the question, what character do we resonate the most with this morning? So I'll ask this more broader. How many of you have resonated with the woman caught in the act before? Just a show of hands. Yeah. Yeah. And just look around. Like, that's, that's just about everyone in the room. We've all experienced that place of, like, deep shame and caughtness and brokenness. There's another question. How many of us have ever been holding a stone? Just a show of hands. Yeah, like, I think this breaks... Jesus' heart. And I love this because this story just oozes these beautiful pictures of grace. I never, this is a confession, and so Jesus and John did not put a heading uh, over top of this passage that we see in John. In fact, some scholars are really shocked because they say this, is, this was actually added kind of later on in the canonization process where the earliest manuscripts of John, it's, it's not there. But somehow it made the cut, and so it's, this is a story that we have. And it's interesting because this story is part of these three fantastic stories of Jesus' interaction with women within the Gospel of John. 
and none of them have names. And that kind of messes with me. But we have the story of the woman at the well, the story of the woman caught in the act of adultery, and the story of the loose woman anointing Jesus' feet. And so there's these three pictures of these women and Jesus' interaction with them that just blow my mind as I think about what this is. So I never liked the heading. What does the heading read in your guys' Bibles? What's the heading of this? What's that? To throw the stone. What's another heading, like an older like NIV translation? Yeah? Woman caught in adultery. I just, I feel like to throw the stone, that you must be reading the message. Yeah. Um, but I think the heading should read, where's the dude? Maybe. Like that could be a legitimate question. Um, it could be a sinner made saint, a radical story of grace, or it could be drawing in the dirt, dignity restored. But we have to remember this woman as she's thrown into the center of this ring of, of men, this ring of people, we ask the question, where's the guy? To catch one person, how do you catch a person in the act of adultery? Maybe today with like Tinder and these other things that are out there, but in this time, this is post-social media or pre-social media. And so where do we really find that? But the truth is, is somehow this is just, and I love what Clyde said, she's a tool. I think this is the beginning of the Me Too movement. And what does Jesus do? He stands in there with her. And so what we find as we see this is this woman carries this ginormous stone and this burden and is laying in front of all of these people standing around her with stones being talked about like she is nothing but a judgment to be made. And Jesus decides to do doodle art in the sand. And the truth is the law did include such a command. Leviticus 20.10 says, If a man commits adultery with another man's wife, with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress shall be put to death. But it was the man also. And again, as I said, how do you get caught in adultery without somebody else? But to understand, this whole thing is a trap. Um, Rome disallowed putting anyone to death without permission of the governor and so simply, simply stated, Jesus, Jesus is put in this trap that says, so do you choose God's law or do you choose to obey Rome? Which one is it? And so he's placed in this very interesting political spot. And I love Jesus' answer. He says, wait, and then he draws. And so Jesus the artist. Some people, I, I love that story of maybe he was writing the names and the sins of the men around. Some people said maybe he was writing Exodus 20:17, which is do not covet another man's wife. Maybe he was just ignoring or felt like drawing something. But he comes up with this statement, without sin, cast the first stone. And my friends, we live in a stoning culture now. It doesn't take too long to read our news feeds in the morning to recognize how quickly we cheer and chant when someone falls from grace. And we are quick to throw our tweets and our thoughts and our conversation to just hurl stone upon stone on people. 
And some of us this morning, we actually may feel like the crowd getting ready for a good old-fashioned stoning. And so this scripture cries to us today, asks us to enter into the story of dropping stones. If that's you, I want to warn you, you've become a Pharisee, and it is time to repent. If you find yourself waiting for someone to make the mistake and get caught so we can light them up with our stones, then we need to ask for forgiveness. This story invites us to join in with the crowd and drop our stones. And Jesus, in his grace, invites this crowd to drop stones. Stone dropping is an act of grace. It's, an, it's, a, it's, a, it's a way for us to let go of our anger and of our hatred. And so Jesus, in this beautiful moment, as people walk, as the stones fall, Jesus reminds this woman who she is because Jesus has a heart towards and for this woman. Jesus sees in her the image of God, not the sin. She recognizes that she's trapped by her sin and he digs out her true identity as a daughter or a child of God. The law says stoner and Jesus says you're right, forgiven. This call to leave sin country, this is one of the things that messes with me and I think messes with us too, right? Jesus doesn't just say, you're forgiven. He says, you're forgiven, now go leave your life of sin. My friends, this call to leave sin's country, when we encounter grace like this, you will never want to go back to where you were before. Because when we, are in, when we encounter radical grace, it shakes us to the core. And my guess is that some of the burdens and the things that were dropped on this table today, that some of us here walked in hoping that the thing that we've been trying to cover up for so long would never get uncovered. But the good news of Jesus is that we are not met with condemnation, but with forgiveness. That you are loved by God and the worst, best thing that ever happened is to come clean and to fall into the arms of a loving God. To see Jesus front and center in your story embracing you and lifting you up and filling you back with dignity and grace. Some of us are that woman in the middle. And the gospel truth this morning is there is radical grace for you that there is radical grace for you. And this story wrecks me. I remember reading it 17 years ago when I first started following Jesus. And I just remember weeping because I felt so much like that woman who was caught. And just seeing this posture and response of the one that says is the Messiah, the one that they said can save the sins of the world, can save us from damnation and all of the crazy things that happen and gives us new life and calls us into a kingdom and restores dignity and erases guilt and shame. This story radically changed me. And it should radically change us today. It should be pulled out of the familiarity of like, oh, I know how this story ends and we should enter into this story. Scripture's not to be read like a textbook, it's to be entered into. And so this story wrecks me. 
Because the truth of the story is that grace invades broken lives and it makes people uncomfortable. Grace restores. And my friends, this is the radical story of seeing and loving others. And so how do we do this? Well, the way that we do this, well, I want to kind of frame it in two different ways. Number one, theologically. So who God is. And so what we, what we understand about this is the first thing that we have to do in order to love people well is this. It's really simple. You might want to write it down. We have to see them. Because Jesus sees people. He sees through the stuff. And what does Jesus do? This is what, the story of Ephesians can basically be summed up like this. What does Jesus do with his enemies? He adopts them as kids. That's what he does with his enemies. And so we have to see people. But when we go back to the beginning of the scripture, what we understand is this. God creates the heavens and the earth. I'm talking Genesis 1. A lot of us start in Genesis 3 with the sin and the fall. But the truth is, there's chapters before that that talk about the goodness of a God who created the world, and everything was good and good and good. And then when he created mankind, male and female, in his own image, he said, this is very good. So here's what I know about the truth of what this speaks of who God is. The people in this room, the people outside of this room, the people that are here on a weekly basis, the people who are downstairs um, outside of, uh, or down at the Round Guys Underground uh, on cross-dressing day, they're all created in the image of God. Every one of them. Humanity is created in the image of God. And so we need to begin to see people, to see folks as people who have been created in the image of God. From innocent children to the most hardened criminal, mankind has been made in the image of God. They've been made and hardwired for relationship with God. They've been made and hardwired for relationship, for healthy relationship as they view themselves, for healthy relationship with others, for healthy relationship with the creation in which they live. But my friends, theologically, how do we love others well? We see them as men and women created in the image of God. We see our neighbors as created in the image of God. We see our coworkers created in the image of God. We see our male men and women created in the image of God. We see the people that we're frustrated with as people who've been created in the image of God. And we get to be present in the unveiling of that in the lives of others. That God in his mercy would include us in on that miracle. Another thing as we think about theologically, what God says about this, we need to be a people that have a robust vision of grace, that we place ourselves in the center of the circle ready to be condemned, and what we meet is the God of the universe who says, you're forgiven, go and sin no more. And renew, at the end of my life, as I stand before God, I would rather God himself look at me and say, Doug, um, you were a little too gracious. You were a little bit too gracious. Opposed to, Doug, I gave you all these opportunities to be gracious and you squandered them. You were kind of a jerk. And so my hope is that as a, as a community of people that follow Jesus, as we enter into this story, as we embody this story, that we would be a church that would be accused of being too gracious. Yeah, those people let anybody in. 
man, the way that they just continue to love people well, this is just absurd. How do they do this? Well, because we've been shaped by the God who saw us as we were far away and proclaimed the good news in our lives. And Renew, this is my prayer for us. As we think about becoming a nursery ministry, a, a, a church with a nursery that is just building and growing because people are coming to meet Jesus, we need to learn to let our rocks down. And so we thought theologically, now thinking practically, how, how do we see others? And here, these are just really practical steps, and this might not seem really difficult. By seeing and listening, one of the most important things we can do is see and listen to others. By being present, by seeing the image of God in others, by hearing their story, even when it makes us uncomfortable to stay invested in the conversation. Sometimes it practically means meeting people at their lowest with grace and mercy. And Jesus says this time and time again in the Gospel of Matthew, I desire mercy or compassion, not sacrifice. Another really easy practical step we can do to love others well is to pray for them, to share a meal with them. And the biggest thing we can do is we can trust that the Holy Spirit is at work. And by the way, the Holy Spirit is not you or I. It's God, that God is at work. And he calls us to enter into the stories and the places of people's lives that we begin to look past the stuff and at the symptoms and all the issues and we begin to pray that the image of God in them would come forth and that God would show up in their hearts. <clears throat> because loving others means that we are not people who pick up stones throw, but we help others carry and release them at the feet of Jesus. And so super practical, if all, of our, if all of our interactions are with other followers of Jesus, we need some friends. This is one of the most clearest ways for us to be able to enter into the stories of others and to see the Imago Dei come out in people, to notice that God is at work in others' lives. If we just hang out with followers of Jesus, we're missing the point of why we've been called to follow Jesus in the first place. And as a pastor, I'm one of the worst culprits. We can kind of hide away and study the scripture, which is good, and we need to do that. We can sort of just sort of circle the wagons and hang out, but the truth is, is we don't, we don't ever dismiss renew, right? We never say, hey, benediction's done. You are dismissed. We say, hey, benediction's done. Now go. It's a sending place. And as followers of Jesus, we are sent into a world that desperately needs to hear the radical good story of grace, forgiveness, new life, and an opportunity to follow Jesus some real simple things, sharing tables. It is so amazing what happens when you sit and share a meal. Uh, one of my good friends that I play hockey with, uh, in the course of three months, he, he had twins. Uh, he lost his sister to suicide. Uh, he had a surgery that kind of got botched, and then uh, he broke his leg. And to sit across a table and watch a friend who I love deeply, who I know even bigger, that God loves deeply, and to share the sacred space of tears radically transformed the way that I now pray. And God is at work. I don't know how, I don't know why, but he is at work in the life of my friend. Uh, if you really want some like super practical things, talk to Kent and Cindy. Uh, they just inhabit tables with people all the time all over the place. 
And I love the way that they think. They're always thinking outward focused. How do we love people? How do we bring people into a place to know the Lord? One of my good friends, uh, an, another Ecclesia pastor, a guy by the name of Danny Prada, has this beautiful statement. He said, we don't have to see eye to eye in order to walk hand in hand. And the truth is, is when we spend time with people who are far from Jesus, there are gonna be things that actually bother us, and that's normal. Because something in us says that, what happens is this, is when we're confronted with things that really bother us, most of the time what's going on is just because we know that there's a better life for them. We know that there's a better way. We understand that that is just a false sense of reality, and there is something so much bigger and more beautiful that we have to offer, that God has to offer. And it's not just about coming to church. That's part of it. Being part of a community is part of it, but that God wants to radically invade their lives and to show them what real life can look like. And so I want to end with just a few things. I want to invite us to imagine what Renew would look like if we embodied this radical, asking others to drop stones kind of Christ's love for others. Just take a moment and imagine that. What would this community look like if we took Jesus' call seriously to embody Christ's love for others? I want us to imagine what baptism stories we would hear this summer. And I want to ask you, Renew, will you join us in loving others? Will you join us in seeing the image of God called out in people's lives? Will you, see, will you join us in trusting that the Holy Spirit loves them more than you do and is chasing after them, but he calls us to be the people that step into that space? Will you join us in filling the nursery? So I want to leave us some time and space to reflect and pray. And then I'm going to close this. But there's a, I think we have some questions, yeah. And these are really practical questions that my guess is we all have names to. But who do I struggle seeing the Imago Day in and why? The harder step is the why. The easy step is naming those people. But why? Let's think about that. And the second one is, what practical step might God be asking of me to act on this week? So just sit with these two questions for a few minutes, and then I want to close this in prayer. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we ask that you would open our eyes and help us to see. We ask that you would give us courage and wisdom to act on the things and the people that we see. In your name we pray, amen. Let's stand and respond.